Hey, First Family, it is my joy to introduce you again to my friend, Warren Samuels. Warren was the interim before I came to the church. He is now part of our church, and we get to hear from him on occasion. This month, he's going to speak into our lives about what does it look like for us to love our neighbors. And if you know Warren, you know he's doing it. He's discipling men in our communities. He's discipling pastors. I've been blessed to have him invest in my life. He also leads a ministry called Hope for Hollywood, where he goes every month to invest in the acting community there. Let's give a big First McKinney welcome again to our very own Warren Samuels. Thank you, Sam. Thank you. You know, I, I was, I'm in churches all the time. Folks, I'm telling you, we are really blessed here. Um, it's not like this everywhere. I'm so grateful for Holly and Justin and for what, how they set the table each week. I uh, heard from Sam yesterday. He's doing great. I think God's really speaking to him about some things in his life, but he wanted me to let you know he really misses you. And, and I know when he says that, he really does, and I get it. So you be praying for him. Uh, I'll be here I know some of you will feel like this is very unfortunate for our church, but I'll be here uh, for the month of October, uh, except for when we are in LA, which is the 22nd of this month. We're going there to minister to kids out there. But it's always a joy to be home. I love being home. We've been out the last couple of months preaching. I told Sam, if I'm not here, I'm not home watching cartoons. Uh, we're out doing something. So Sherry and I both miss this church. This is our home church. And I'm just grateful to be here today. How many of you have ever heard the expression, you are known by the company that you keep? Yeah, two of you in here, thank you. All right. <laughs> Let me tell you, I'm gonna talk to you. I know Sam maybe doesn't talk to you, I'm gonna talk to you and you just look at me, it's gonna be a very long morning. But how many of you have heard the expression, birds of a feather flock together? Yeah, we've all heard that one uh, as well. And I think most of the time, they are warning us of the potential danger of choosing wrong relationships. I bet I could parade people here for hours, stand up and give a testimony about choosing wrong relationship that absolutely devastated their life if God hadn't have intervened. Let me say something to you students up here, and I, I want you to listen very carefully. So much of the direction you will go, middle school, high school, college, will be determined by the friends that you chose and that you choose because they will affect the direction of your life. I can give you hundreds and hundreds of illustrations of kids that picked the wrong friends that woke up one day on a road, on a path that they did not want to be on. So choosing right friendships is very, very important. Paul said, bad company corrupts good morals. Now, while generally I believe these statements are true, my question is, is it possible that there is ever an exception to that warning? Jesus was most often criticized by the religious community for the company that he kept. In fact, to be honest with you, one of the most critical communities that exist today in this country is the religious community. 
but they criticized him for those that he hung out with. In fact, I can't think of one person that Jesus chose to hang out with that got the stamp of approval from the religious community, starting with the men that he chose to help him advance his father's kingdom. Now, if you have your Bibles, I'm gonna ask you to turn with me to Luke chapter five. That's where we're gonna be this morning, but a little bit of background. At the beginning of Luke chapter five, Jesus chooses Simon, number one, as a disciple. He eventually will become the chief of disciples. Now, I don't know about you, but I know a lot about fishermen. When I was in high school and college, I fished competitively. I fished all over the state of Texas and some surrounding states. So I understand fishermen. I love fishermen. But they are a little different group. I get that. Uh, First of all, they are not known as an overly educated group of men and women. They're just not. Uh, Some of them have PhDs, some have master's college degrees, but for the most part, they're not that educated. They're a little rough around the edges, and so the community would have been shocked when Peter was chosen as the first individual to join Jesus' merry little band. Well, as soon as he chose Peter, he then chose two more fishermen. So if you stop and think about it, Jesus begins his disciple-making ministry with now three unemployed fishermen. Well, if that's not strange enough and weird enough, then Jesus goes and chooses a leper. Now, he didn't choose the leper as a disciple, but he did choose this leper as an individual that would advance his daddy's kingdom. Lepers were shunned in those days. I mean, think about the last few years. If we knew a friend had COVID-19, we're not going over for coffee. We said, I'll wait till you get better. But there was no cure for leprosy. No cure. And so these people were shunned not only by the religious community, but from culture as a whole. And then Jesus goes and he finds a paralytic, a man that has infirmities. Again, not as a disciple, but as a man that will make his daddy's name famous. So do you understand Jesus begins, he begins choosing men with very unimpressive resumes. You and I would probably, if we were starting a band of disciples, would not have chosen one single individual that Jesus chose, and yet, the biggest shock is yet to come. Look at verse 27, Luke chapter five. The Bible says that when Jesus went out, that he noticed a tax collector by the name of Levi, we know him now as Matthew, was sitting in the tax booth and he said to him, follow me, and he left everything behind and he got up and he began to follow him. So what I want you to understand is that Jesus has gone from recruiting men that society ignored to now recruiting a man that society hated. There was not anyone more despised in those days than a tax collector. They were shunned by the religious community as well as the unreligious community. There were few people that were hated and despised 
like these guys. So when the crowd saw those that Jesus had chosen, Jesus went from choosing someone that most people ignored to now having on his team someone that everyone hated. Folks, it's hard. Pick a time in history. Pick a country. Nobody despises anyone in their country more than a traitor. Am I right? We all despise traitors. They would have despised traitors. So if Jesus picks a traitor to join his group, it must be because Jesus is a traitor himself. Yes, birds of a feather flock together. Well, why were the tax collectors so despised? Well, they were seen as another sign of incredible Roman oppression. If you don't like our tax system, you wouldn't have liked the tax system first century. They taxed everything. The Jews were under, um, we heard this morning about how the burden of Christ is light, absolutely, but the burden of the Romans was heavy. They taxed their grapes, they taxed their wheat, they taxed their chariots, they even taxed the roads that they walked on. So Matthew, Levi, would have been seen as an absolute total sellout. Now most scholars believe that Matthew was a toll tax collector. There were many kinds of tax collectors, but this was specific. Because it says in verse 27 that Jesus was walking down a road, noticed a tax collector in a booth. Now, in those days, there was a road that ran from Damascus, Syria, went through Jerusalem, ended up in Egypt. And the Romans would tax the Jewish people for walking on a certain stretch of road. So if Rome said to Matthew, hey, we want 10 cents for every person that walks down this road, Matthew gets to charge what he wants and put in his own pocket. So if the Romans said we want 10 cents, he could say, well, I'm gonna charge people 20 cents or I'm gonna charge people a quarter. Do you understand why he would have been so despised? Hello? Yeah. Because they saw him as a total sellout. They saw him as a go-between Rome and the people of Israel. You and I have no idea how despised and hated this man would have been. They would have thrown things at him. They would have walked by the booth and spit on him. They would have called him all kinds of names. I'm sure people walked by and said, hey, Levi, how are you? Got two words for you, pal. Blank you. Blank you. So you can understand when Jesus walks by and says, hey, Matthew, I've got two words for you. Matthew's thinking, I've heard that before. Fisher, Baskin, and Robbins, pal, take a number. I've heard this. But he was shocked, wasn't he? Because the two words that Jesus had to say were not blank you, but in verse 27, Jesus said to him, follow me. Folks, you have no idea. Me? Is there someone else in this booth? Me? You want me? 
No one more shocked than Matthew. You see, ladies and gentlemen, the Christian life is more than a set of beliefs. It truly is an act of obedience. In fact, one of the proofs that you have been changed by what you say you believe is your obedience to God. You've heard me say before, a lot of people want to know the will of God, not so they can obey it, but so they can consider it. Many people are asking God, show me your will, show me your will, show me your will. And if we could listen and God would speak audibly, we'd hear, but you're not even obedient to my revealed will. Why should I give you my unrevealed will when you're not even obedient to my revealed will? Matthew was. The one thing that Jesus asked of him was simply this. He asked him to be obedient to his words, and he asked him to to grab a hold of a greater security than any securities in this world. That's what he asked. From a human standpoint, this would have been very very risky. Folks, do you understand this guy is loaded? This man is loaded. He's rich. We're going to see in a moment. He's got a huge house. Guarantee he had a 401k. Probably had a lot of rental property that Verbo would have overseen. This guy was loaded. If most people drove chariots, he had a turbo chariot. Everything this guy had was first class. He was rich. Now, he didn't have many friends, but he had a lot of money. But what is so obvious to me in this text, and it ought to be this blinking red light to so many of us who wake up every day to pursue the American dollar, if money were the answer to men's problems, then when Jesus walked by and said, follow me, Matthew would have said, nah, I'm good, thanks. And told him to go on his merry way, but he wasn't. There must have been a huge hole in Matthew's heart that that he could not seem to fill. All he knew was that stuff hadn't done it up till this point. He really only knew two things. I'm about to be unemployed and I'm about to start following a man by the name of Jesus. That's it. He had no idea that God was going to take a man that was a go-between Rome and Israel to make him a go-between God and all of humanity. You see, ladies and gentlemen, when you and I give our lives to Jesus, we really are only assured of one thing. One thing. It's getting him. And when you come to understand that Jesus is all you have, and there'll come that day in every one of our lives, unless we drop dead suddenly of a heart attack, you come to understand Jesus is all I have. That's the moment you come to understand Jesus is all I need. Truly. That's what Matthew was in the process of trying to find out. When we give our life to Jesus, we are not promised riches. We may get riches, We're not promised fame, God may give us fame. We are not promised health, though God may give us health. We are only promised him. 
It's so, there are very few times I really get upset and want to scream at people on a television set, but I tell you what makes me want to scream at someone on the television is when I hear a man or a woman say, give your life to Jesus, you will become wealthy. He wants you to be wealthy. Where in scripture can you find that? And why in the world would Jesus give us something at salvation that only further knits our heart to this world? Do you understand what I'm saying? And if that's the case, then the hundreds if not thousands of people that I've met in third world countries taking the gospel to unreached people groups that don't have a dime to their name, those people are just out of luck. Somehow they didn't get the memo. There are men and women that I've met overseas traveling to third world countries. I am not worthy to untie their shoestrings. God is all over them. Tell me, what does a man or woman get? When they get Jesus, they get Jesus. Now God may make some of you wealthy, God may give some of you fame, God may give some of you health, but it's not for you, it's for you to use for your father's advancement in his kingdom. Understand that. You don't. We find ourselves in the same place that Matthew found himself in. So what did he do? Right after he came to know Jesus, responded to the call of Jesus, verse 29 says, he threw a big reception. He throws a big party in his house. It must have been a big house. There was a great crowd. Well, who made up the crowd? It tells us. Tax collectors and other people were reclining at the table with him. What do you mean, other people? Do you understand that tax collectors were looked at just like prostitutes? I'm almost certain. I'll be shocked if I get to heaven and ask Jesus, were there prostitutes at that to hear him say no? That room would have been filled with tax collectors and prostitutes, a group of people that the religious community went, we want no part of you, you go do your thing, you're unclean. That's the group that would have been in this particular room. So what does he do? What does Levi do? He throws a party for his network. He throws the party to introduce his network to the individual who changed his life. One advantage that new Christians have over those of us who've known the Lord now for a long time, number one, they usually know more lost people, and number two, they usually have a greater burden to see people come to know Christ. They just do. They just do. So Matthew is mock five with his hair on fire to get his network to his house to introduce them to the one who just changed his life on the streets. When our daughter, our youngest daughter, finished her first film, first movie, uh, it was a horror film. I, I wasn't all excited about it, even though it turned out to be a little better than I thought it would. And so most of the time when she films, the sets are closed. But this particular set, the set was open, which means if you're a parent, you can watch them film. I, I got to go and watch my daughter in a dungeon in chains for days. Every Christian father's dream. <laughs> and so I watched her and, 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 and so forth, and I, I got past it. I'm trying to support her and encourage her in what she's doing. So 
I got to know the director, and he, he and I became friends, and we began sharing with each other, and I started taking him to lunch and to coffee and talking to him about Jesus. He didn't know Jesus. So about two weeks before Thanksgiving, I said, hey, Jason, why don't you come to our house, and you can have Thanksgiving with my family. And Jason said, well, I would love that. You want me to come to your house for Thanksgiving with your family? Yeah, I do. He said, I'll be there. Well, two days later, he calls me and he said, hey, can I bring a plus one? Can I bring a friend? I said, sure, you can bring a friend. He said, it's my girlfriend, my new girlfriend. I said, I'd love to meet your new girlfriend. He said, I don't know if you would. <laughs> I said, huh? I said, what does she do? Is she like a Mac, an axe murderer? Is she a serial killer? He said, no. She's a Russian stripper. I'm not talking about somebody that takes the finish off of wood. <laughs> I told Sherry, well, this will be a different Thanksgiving. <laughs> I just said, please Remind her when she's getting ready for the day, she's not going to work. I, I said something stupid like that. I, I, you know, I just, I, I just kind of lost. I, I wasn't sure what to say. So he laughed, and so she came. She sat, and we really had a marvelous time. I'll never forget this. When she got up to leave, she said, it's been a really long time since someone has given me something and asked for nothing in return. Folks, that's this scenario here. Full of people that even the Christian community wanted absolutely no part of. So do you see what's happening here? What's happening is God's moving him from being changed to being a change agent. For the first time in his life, don't miss this, he's truly living out his name. Jewish parents in those days would name their children names of qualities they'd hoped that they would have or display or maybe something they hoped they would become. Obviously, his mom and dad, Matthew's mom and dad, were godly. They named him Levi, the priestly tribe of Israel, the pastors, the spiritual leaders of Israel. And I wonder how many years they cried out to God and they cried out to God, God, change our boy, save our boy, help our boy to understand why he was created. And all Matthew did was sit in the tax booth and collect money and hoard more stuff. I have no idea if Matthew's mom and dad were dead at the time this took place, no idea whatsoever. But I do know this, God answered their prayer. Some of you in this room have got wayward children and they've run from God with all their hearts, still running from God today, and you're so discouraged. Don't stop praying. Don't get off your knees. Don't stop asking God to bring them to a moment where they meet Jesus face to face because God answered that prayer. And he touched their boy, who was now a grown man, in a toll booth in Jerusalem. So when did Levi discover who he was? 
when he discovered who Jesus was. This is very significant. Let me just say something, students, so y'all, can y'all look up this way just for a second, please? There is this, there is this mindset that's going across schools all over this country that the key to you flourishing as a human being is you discovering your sexual identity. Somebody was telling me the other day, they have a fifth or sixth grade child that's being taught this in school. That if you're gonna flourish, you're gonna have to find out sexually who you are. Do you understand that is not the journey to find who you are. If you want to discover who you are, you discover who Jesus is and what he, de- what he declared you to be. Do you understand what I'm telling you? When I was your age, sex was something people did. Now, in our culture, we've made sex something that we are. What happened? The key to human flourishing is not discovering your sexual identity. The key to your flourishing is to discover the reason Jesus has you living in this culture today. You didn't live in the previous culture. You won't live in the next generation. You're in this generation for a purpose, just like Matthew, his mouthpiece to make your culture, make your God's name famous to your friends. That's why he has you here. Don't ask your kids what they want to become. Lead your kids, guide your kids to discover what God wants them to be. It's very important. It doesn't really matter what you want. What matters, if you're going to find fulfillment in life, you discover what Jesus wants you to do with your life. And then you will never, ever understand the joy that awaits you once you begin to live in that gift set. Matthew did not discover himself until he discovered the Lord Jesus. So the question this morning is, how do I build as a Christ follower relationships with lost people, not violate scriptural principles and not be negatively affected? Well, number one, remember the purpose of all relationships. Matthew tells us that he threw the party for two reasons. Number one, he wanted to introduce his friends to Jesus and he wanted to honor Jesus. In fact, if you look in verse 29, it says he gave the reception for him. You guys are gonna have a chance to go to a lot of parties, and a lot of you in this room will throw parties as you get older. Matthew did not throw a party so his friends would have a place to get drunk. Matthew didn't throw a party to give his friends a place to pick up girls. He threw a party so that his network could meet the same Jesus that radically changed his life. If you start looking at your parties as opportunities to make his name famous, you'll never regret the parties that you throw. And there's a lot of people in this room, and I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but I guarantee there are people in this room that threw a party thinking it was going to be great and it turned out to be a disaster. So understand... The reason for relationships is Jesus. In fact, folks, the importance of relationships is this. Anytime I attempt to point people to anyone other than Jesus, I am potentially robbing people of the only one that can give them pure joy. You point them to anything or anyone else, it will not give them what they think they want and or need. Number two, Remember that there is a difference between a friend and an acquaintance. I have many acquaintances. A lot of people I love. 
But outside of my precious wife, I've got seven, my wife and I were talking about this, that's why the number just comes to my brain. Sherry and I were talking about it this week. I've got seven men who are very close to me. They know me intimately. They're accountability partners with me. They hold my feet to the fire. They love Jesus. They have the same heartbeat I did, and that is we are here in this season of our life for one reason, and that is to advance God's kingdom, period. Period. Now, you can do that at your job. You can do that at school. You can do that in whatever you're doing, but I'm just saying you keep the main thing the main thing. But there's a difference between an acquaintance and a friend. All of my friends share one thing in common. Their heart beats like my heart beats, and that is every day we wake up asking God, God, how do we make your name famous today? Third thing I want you to see, I'm done. Building relationships with lost people, folks, has got to be intentional. Verse 29 says that he threw this party. Well, to throw a party, you have to put an invitation list together, right? You have to get party decorations. You have to order the food. You have to determine the guest list. He was very intentional. I have to put lost people in my life intentionally. Every day asking God for divine appointments for me to sit and to talk with someone and tell them how great my God is. Because I'm telling you, the world does not know that. They don't know. It's got to be intentional. Think about this past week. Everything you did. We all had more on our plates than we could say grace over. How many of you can think back to a time that you intentionally, intentionally factored a lost person into your life to speak to? Now, it may have come by accident. It could have been at the grocery store or the mechanic that works on your car. But just think about it. If we're going to reach this world, we're going to have to be intentional. Because I'm telling you, Christians would take up all of my time if I let them. They just would. So I'm very intentional about that. Right, next slide. 1989, I was in Western Germany right before the wall fell, the communist wall that separated East from West Germany. If you tried to do this on the wall that separated East from West Germany, you would have been shot. So this obviously was not Germany in 1989, but I really do believe that this is a picture of what God's created us to do. One thing I noticed about the East and the West, the people in the East had no freedoms. The people in the West had many freedoms. Folks, the freedoms that Jesus has given us, we've got to spend time trying by the grace of God, by the power of God, by the Spirit of God to grab the hands of men and women that God's dealing with to pull them to freedom. But there's one thing that you don't see that's on the other side of the wall that's very important to the work that's being done here. Next slide. Someone's got his feet. Someone's got his feet. The one that has our feet is our accountability partner. The person that has our feet is our prayer partner. The one that has our feet is the one that I can share anything with without being berated and to feel guilty. 
every single person in this room needs someone that's holding our feet as we attempt to reach. Let me say something. You guys have got a lot of kids at school. They're on the other side of that wall. They're living in bondage every single day. And some of you, God's put these people in your heart and you try to reach over and you try to help them. But you know what happens many times with students? The person on the other side of the wall pulls them over and they find them doing the very thing that they didn't want to do. That doesn't happen if someone's holding your feet. Don't make your lost friends, friends make them acquaintances. Your friends need to be people who encourage you in Christ, are pointing you to Jesus, will pray for you, will hold you accountable when you mess up. Do you see how important that is? The question, folks, is simply this, and it's very simple. Who has your Let's pray. Father, we love you. We thank you. So grateful for what you did in Levi's life, how you changed him. I thank you for how you're changing us today. I thank you for the fact that you're still changing men and women, not only in our country, but around the world. God, please, I'm begging you today, please give us a heart for those that are living in bondage. Please give us a passion for those who are living on the other side of the wall, who don't even know if freedom is possible. And yet, God, when you bring those people into our lives, help us to have someone that holds our feet, that makes us accountable, that lifts us up in prayer and encourages us along the way. And I ask this this morning for one reason, for the glory and honor of the Lord Jesus, in whose name we pray, amen. Thank you for joining us today for Worship Online. If you're in our area, we want to invite you to come to physically connect to your local church. We would love to help you to live and love like Jesus alongside of others who are doing the same. If you're from outside of our area, can I challenge you to find a local church in your area that's going to preach the Bible and exalt Jesus? Smash the like button, subscribe, share with friends, and turn on notifications if you'd like to stay up to date with us. And thanks again for joining us.